It's time for JT the Brick. Receiver from the University of Colorado, number 21, Cliff Branch. We kick off the summer of Cliff Branch. Target drops back to pass. Steps up. He looks. Over the middle. He's got it. Touchdown Raiders. It's by Cliff Branch. The summer of Cliff. Cliff Branch, all summer long. JT the Brick. Prepare your phone call. I want Cliff content from you. What separated Cliff was he was amazing, meticulous route runner. As we count down to Cliff, the summer of Cliff on the flagship. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you. Thanks for joining us today as we are into the summer of Cliff Branch, the countdown of Cliff Branch, and his induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton in early August. And that's what we're doing all summer. Every day we're going to talk about Cliff in some way, either with interviews with former teammates, callers checking in, insiders. That's my plan until we come out of the Hall of Fame game, and then we'll dive into the preseason. We'll talk about the roster and the roster cutdowns coming out of the preseason. That's what the calendar says to do. As the Raiders are on vacation now, our vacation programming is Cliff Branch. Yesterday, we got off to a miraculous start. A lot of great calls. People checked in. We debuted some of our imaging, and we're going to have more and more for you. So if you like to call on Cliff, this might be the day for you. I'm off the rest of the week. Harry Ruiz is in uh, doing some other projects. Coming back here next week, we're off on the 4th of July. So fly on in today and tell me your story about Cliff Branch. We had some good ones yesterday. Mostly about Cliff uh, signing autographs and how people met him. And I think we're going to get a lot of those over the next couple of weeks. Your Cliff Branch autograph, where did you get it? Where'd you get your Cliff autograph? You didn't get it from eBay. You probably got it right to him with him looking you in the eyes. Maybe you got a story with that. Or some of the old school fans could tell some stories about him on the field, which made him special. What made him different? What made him unique? Uh, I don't mind before the induction if we talk about the misjustice of him not getting in until now. We're kind of going to get away from that when we get ready for the party in Canton. It's all going to be about the party and the happiness of him getting in. But, you know, I don't want to lock you down. Whatever you want to talk about, that would be fine. Our number is 702-365-9200. As the heat is picking up today, Bobby was hot today getting here. A little bit hotter than I thought today. Walking the dog a little bit earlier than usual. Walk those dogs early. Don't leave them out. Plenty of water. Please, please, please keep an eye on your pets. If you haven't lived here as long as I have, those stories are terrible. They're awful, and especially kids in pools. So keep an eye on the kids. Don't go in to the house to get some food and leave them out there. I say that every year because it's sad to see the news here every night locally with those stories as they pick up. Oh, and the rain. When it does rain, you don't win against the water. We haven't had a monsoon in a while, Bobby. We haven't had one in a long time. But when it rains, it pours this time of year. Get off to the side of the road in a safe place. That's my PSA for today. So we're in the dead zone of sports radio, but we're actually not. There's a lot of big stories happening. Uh, with the issues with the NFL, with Daniel Snyder, the Gruden emails, Deshaun Watson, that's a full category of sports talk. Then I wanted to lead today with Brittany Griner. I went in on a Twitter rant, and Twitter is a cesspool for human beings to comment. A lot of times I put out a tweet because I'm, I'm in the business, and I should put out a tweet to tell people who's coming up on the show. But I'll tweet something out from time to time, and I tweeted out today about Brittany Griner, who had a court appearance yesterday in Russia, and no one's really talking about it in sports. 
So about an hour ago, I tweeted out ESPN's headlines on their homepage. Mayfield on the Browns, Baker Mayfield, both sides have moved on. Westbrook picks up his $47 million option. F1's Hamilton condemns racial slur. Uh, Dodgers Braves, Tommy Fury, I was denied entrance into the USA. Where's Brittany Griner? We have an American iconic basketball player, brilliant in college, all-star in the WNBA. She's being detained in Russia because she had some marijuana, cannabis oil. That's it, a vape pen. And I, and I got idiots. I got idiots on my Twitter feed saying, you get this, this is what you deserve if you go into Russia with a vape pen. Oh, my God. So the reason why she's being detained is Russia is in the middle of a violent, bloody war with Ukraine. So they don't have time for anything because they're getting their ass kicked at times in this war against a smaller country. They got their hands full. It's not going the way they planned. So they have a built-in excuse on why they aren't letting Brittany Griner go. I just want to cover this from a media perspective. This is a WNBA town. Mark Davis owns the Aces. When you look at the rest of the country, I'm not saying that this has to be every segment of every show, but I'm going to be talking about Brittany Griner a lot until she's free because this is a horrific sports story. It's despicable what's happening to her. And I woke up, and last night when I saw her in handcuffs, in handcuffs, going through a hallway in Russia for some type of hearing and some court appearance, and then after that they said she could be found guilty for 10 years in jail. I wouldn't be shocked if that was the case there. So I want to open up the show with that, just to put it out there in the front of your mind, not the back of your mind, that we have an American athlete. Now, a lot of people are saying, what would happen if that was a guy? Would they have gotten the guy out? Stop. Stop politicizing and being ridiculously triggered as a political psychopath. Cover it as a sports story. How come we can't get her out? Why isn't it a case where diplomats from Russia and the United States are meeting in Geneva saying, okay, we'll trade you this prisoner for that prisoner and get her out? And there are other prisoners being unlawfully detained. I get it. But I'm a sports talk host. She's an athlete, a tremendous athlete, and I just wanted to get that into the monologue. If you have an opinion on how she's going to get out, I'd like to know. I don't know. Maybe someone's listening who knows that world. 60 Minutes did a feature, I think it was three weeks ago, on a gentleman who does this for a living for our government. All his job is every morning is to wake up and try to get a prisoner released. And it was really fascinating on how they do it all over the world. But the fact that Russia's in a war... Can you believe that over a vape pen? If she was moving heroin or cocaine or hard drugs, you'd be like, okay, you know, I get it. A vape pen. And that wouldn't happen in this country. And don't compare our country to Russia. I just wanted to get that in here because I'm bothered by it. I'm bothered by the media coverage. And I'm bothered by the fact that the media every day talks LeBron, 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 while a great basketball player is unlawfully detained in Russia. So that's the beginning of the monologue. All right, second topic that I'm going to get to today is Russell Westbrook. Oh, we have Jeff Hostetler at the bottom of the hour, Haas. Oh, by the way, really excited to interview him again. Was a pro bowler for the Raiders, played on some good Raider teams. I was inside Super Bowl twenty-five when he won the Super Bowl for the Giants. It was a really important day in my life as a fan. I never saw anything like it. Whitney Houston singing the anthem. I look up. There's a helicopter over. People were worried about the war in Iraq. People were worried about bomb threats. And Hostetler goes out and plays a brilliant game. And the Giants beat Buffalo wide right. I was there. 
Hostetler was the quarterback. He ended up going to the Raiders and the Redskins. He played for three iconic franchises. So Haas at the bottom of the hour. Also a little bit later on in the show, hour number two, Matt McCants, former Raiders, going to join us. We'll jump in with him, talked about, talk about his career and what's happening there. And what we're going to try to do also is get the summer of Cliff going with your Cliff Branch phone calls at 702-365-9200 and just get a story or two to set the pace here every day. We'd really like to do that, to get the start of the show going every day, if you can help out with that, 702-365-9200. All right, for the Raiders' standpoint, Derek Carr is playing in the American Century Celebrity Golf Tournament. I covered that tournament for 10 years. It's hard. It's pressure. Derek has never played under this pressure before, ever, in golf. There's cameras everywhere. Okay, it's on television. If you hit a bad ball, a ground ball, it's on TV. You got to get the ball in the air. You got to shape your shot. You got to do it there. So that's a topic. You've heard some of the sound here on our flagship station here. He's got to play well, and that's a tough place. Real quick story on that tournament. Every year I'd see Joe Theismann, Charles Barkley. Barkley was a joke because he really couldn't play back then. Remember when he had the hitch and all that? But Joe Theismann would come up every year. I did my show in the lobby of the Caesars, the big hotel there, and Joe would come in all, I'm going to win this thing. I'm going to win this thing. And he was a pretty good player. And then he'd come off the second round, and he'd just wave and laugh and go, I'm done. Because the best golfers, usually hockey players, win this tournament. So I'm wishing Derek nothing but the best as he's been preparing for this. Other NFL news we'll get to is today is the disciplinary hearing for Deshaun Watson. All you need to know on this is the union who represents Watson, his, his players' union, is going to signify to the owners and to the judge and Roger Goodell that the owners get treated differently than the players. That's really his only case. We know that he was lewd and crude during his massages with strangers and women. We know that to be true. We know that. But he's not going to be charged criminally. So he wants to play again, and the league can't afford to let him play. There's too many women who watch football, number one. Too many women were allegedly violated, and the league can't let him play. So the union's going to say, wait a second. Other owners of yours have had done things and had transgressions, and they had a slap on the wrist. You're not treating the owners the same way you're treating the players. That's all I see happening here. I don't see much else on that front. So we're going to see how this plays out here. There could be news as early as this week. They could take some time for more testimony, the judge in this case. Baker Mayfield has moved on from the Browns. Both sides has moved on. Man, there's been a lot of dumb radio the last couple of days. People doing radio shows saying, would Baker come back? Are you nuts? Other people saying, would Kyrie opt out and take $6 million to play with the Lakers? Stop. That's dummy radio, man. That's like lower than an entry podcast you never heard of. That's not going to happen. And Baker Mayfield was embarrassed by the Cleveland Browns organization. They dumped him. He played injured for him. He played reasonably well. Threw some interceptions. I thought he was a good player. Really good player. Number one pick overall. Did commercials. Sold the brand nationally with the progressive TV commercials. Did a lot of good things. Didn't get arrested. Wasn't in the back of a police car. Didn't treat women rudely after massages. Didn't do all this, and they threw him to the curb. So Baker Mayfield was asked if there was any chance of a reconciliation with the Browns during an appearance at a youth football camp in Norman, Oklahoma, where my son goes to school. Mayfield said that it's been pretty obvious the mutual decision on both sides is to move on. I believe that Baker Mayfield should be the starting quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, the Houston Texans, 
with the Carolina Panthers. And he's ready to go. He's ready to go. He's completely healthy. Look great at this camp. He's trim. He's lean. He's healthy. He's ready to play again. He can't get a job. And they gave Deshaun Watson $230 million, guaranteed, knowing that he had cases pending. And Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the team, went down that road. Really incredible to me here. So we're going to keep an eye on that. All right, let me jump back to the NBA where Russell Westbrook picked up his $47.1 million player option. Oh, my God. $47.1 million. There are a lot of Laker fans listening today on the flagship here. A lot of Laker fans are Raider fans. And you're Warrior fans, mostly Warrior fans, but a lot of Laker fans here in Vegas. This is becoming the worst contract, arguably, in NBA history. The reason it's not is because Westbrook is healthy, and he's one of the all-time 75 best players. Fact, not fiction. He got the blazer that said 75 on it. He was introduced with the greatest ever play, Dr. J, Tim Duncan, Jerry West. So he's one of those guys, but he forgot how to shoot. So the Lakers can't get rid of him, and the Lakers were wondering if they could get Kyrie Irving. So Kyrie Irving opted in for $36 million. Westbrook opted in at $47 million. James Harden is under contract with Philadelphia in the $40 million range. Ladies and gentlemen, isn't it amazing for the first time in the NBA's history that there's players making in the high 30s to $40 million that no one wants? No one wants these guys. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. They don't have the ability to get traded from one team to the other because their contracts are too overblown. So what does this mean? It means that Kyrie Irving apparently is going to play in Brooklyn one more year. But it's a little bit more complicated than that. They signed him. He opted into his contract. Now they can trade him, but they got to match that money. There's no one else out there. John Wall last night, the news broke that Houston will pick up a portion of his $47 million contract. Uh, about $6.5 million will be picked up by the Clippers and the rest by Houston. So he's going to get a chance to go to the Los Angeles Clippers. As I tweeted out last night as I was live on the radio on my SiriusXM show, this could be the worst contract in NBA history. John Wall, ready for this? In 2019, he signed a four-year deal for $171 million. $171. The Rolling Stones don't make that on their global European tour. Year one of his contract, he played zero games and got $38.3 million. Year two, he played 40 games. Got 41.3. Last year, he played zero games, got 44.3 million. And this upcoming year, 40.9 million, 6.5 will be paid for by the Clippers as this buyout is going on. Could that be the worst contract ever? That's one of the things I threw out last night, and I want to bring it here today. I think it's a good cop topic. Off the top of your head, you can make this Raiders related. We know what the answer is. It's Jamarcus Russell. Let's take him out. Let's remove Jamarcus Russell. What is the worst contract in Raider history? That don't get the phones going. The phones are broke. What is the worst contract in Oakland, L.A., Las Vegas Raider history? Other than Jamarcus. We don't want Jamarcus. Who are the other contracts? Maybe you know the number. Our crack research research staff is Bobby. We got Google. But other than that, what is the worst contract you look at in Raider history? I'll go first. D'Angelo Hall. What a fraud. I think it was eight games, eight million. 
I believe it might have been six games, six million. I'll double check. So I went first with D'Angelo Hall. What a what a bad contract. Because that was bad because he didn't play and he stole money. So you can go back and you don't have to match the money. There could be a bad contract in the 60s or 70s that I'm not aware of or in the 80s that you are aware of and you'd like to give it to us on the broadcast. 702-365-9200. This is a big topic for me because all I've been talking about the last couple of nights are bad NBA contracts. One of the worst contracts in sports history is happening now, Mike Trout. Mike Trout's getting $426 million. The only thing he does is hit home runs against the Mariners. They don't win. They don't make the playoffs. He doesn't get... He doesn't get playoff money. He doesn't play in the World Series. That's a pretty bad contract. But if you go back in Raider history to the worst contract of all time, LV Raider Marcus comes in on Twitter at JT the Brick. Javon Walker, not even close. So we'll put this up here as uh, I think that's a good one. Javon Walker's contract was brutal. D'Angelo Hall, we can't use Jamarcus Russell. That was only a rookie contract, but it was an enormous one. That's before they changed the rules with rookie contracts. Remember, they did that. So, man, I'm full of some good, fresh topics today for you on a summer day at 702-365-9200. We will not debate the third-string Raider cornerback on the show this summer. We will not do it. Other shows can do it all they want. We will not do that. We will not debate... The, the backup fullback for the Raiders this summer. It will not happen on the show. We will not debate who's going to make the special teams on the Raiders this summer. I'll debate it when we're a week away from cuts. We're not wasting time. We're not doing any of that. I'm trying to find things that can get us all grooving here as we're doing summertime radio in the summer of Cliff as we open it up here. And then one more uh, big storyline that I want to get to. You know, you look at baseball in general. Baseball's trying to pick up some steam here because it's the only sport being played. We just closed out the Stanley Cup as we are the sister station of the flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. We had Gary Lawless on yesterday. I had a couple of national hockey insiders on the last couple of days. And the Vegas Golden Knights got their work cut out for them. They're going to have good players here. They got to bring in an infusion of younger players. They got to figure out which players are going to fit under the salary cap as they get rolling. On the UNLV front, UNLV football, Marcus Arroyo. We should have him on here pretty quickly as we'll take a look at what UNLV is doing in the portal and how they're trying to improve the football team to the start of the season as we get going here and we open it up. Wimbledon is underway. They won't let the Russians play. I think that's wrong. I think that's completely wrong on that topic. Serena is in progress right now, and she's losing which is she's losing 6-5 in the first. The, that would be a hell of a story if she get knocked out of here. She's still trying to get that one more elusive major. Let's see what happens here as we get going there. And then NBA Summer League. We'll be talking about that as we'll do a broadcast or two live from NBA Summer League as we are brought to you by PTs, the best happy hour in town. Jump on in on Twitter. You can follow PTs on Twitter. They have all of their Unique specials, where they are, what taverns they're at. Uh, go to PTs on Facebook or on social media and see exactly what they're doing. PTs fuels the monologue as the show is underway. And I saved the best for last. Best for last. 25 years ago tonight, I was in the MGM Grand Garden Arena for Bite Night. Tyson Holyfield too. That was one of the most incredible nights of my life. I will tell the story at the top of the hour. We reached out to Steve Cofield, who was on the air with me that night, but he's on vacation. 
I'll tell the story from my book, The Handoff, on exactly what happened that night from my perspective. It was one of the most bizarre and dangerous nights that I can remember in the history of Las Vegas. Now, there's been more dangerous nights, of course, one October, which you can't compare, and hopefully we never compare to anything else in this town. But when it came to sports, anger, celebrity, police, the streets of Vegas, everything that went down that evening has stayed with me my entire life. That was 25 years ago tonight. I could do four hours on this alone. Forget about football. If you have a memory of bite night, if you were in Vegas for that fight, if you remember exactly what that night was like for you, be my co-host and tell me a story on that, and let's compare them at 702-365-9200. Thank God we're on in Danville today. Dean in Danville. How are you, Dean? What's happening? Good, JT. Uh, to answer your question, I think bad contracts go to the two maps. Matt Flynn and Matt Schaub. <laughs> Matt Flynn. How did I forget Matt Flynn? That, that is the all-time wow. worst. All right, so Bobby, keep track of this. We got Javon Walker. We got Matt Flynn. We got Matt Schaub. Okay, yeah, slow down, Bobby said. So explain to me what you remember about Matt Flynn when he had a chance. He had a chance to play here, and he had a bigger chance to play in Seattle after all this. What do you remember of that? You know, he just tanked. The minute he got on the field, you know, he had all that hype for being the backup in Green Bay. And then when Reggie came over here, he wanted to try to bring some of that Green Bay influence over here and thought Matt could step right in. Just an absolute bust. I think he just got the big contract, and that was good enough for him. Yeah, he was a good guy, too. He was in a, he was in a situation in his career. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it up right now. He made a lot of money. Over a short period of time when he came into the league, I'm, I'm breaking down the salary cap numbers here over the course of his career, Raiders, Seattle. The Seattle deal was really big because then people still had confidence, and that was before Russell Wilson and what was going to happen with that uh, contract here. But I'm looking through some of them now. I'll have it here on the other side as it's loading here. 2015-16 with the Jets, 930000 uh, The contract with Green Bay, one point six eight. The Raiders, $5.75 million. Signing and bonus, 5.250. 5, salary was $5,750,000. 2013-2014, uh, yeah, so those are all the salaries. Oh, and then Seattle. Seattle was $6.5 million, a $6 million signing bonus. His signing bonus when he came into the league with Green Bay was $64,000. Amazing. Yeah, thanks for the call. I wouldn't have had that one. That's why I, uh, that's why I like when people call in or tweet at JT the Brick. There's things I don't know, and you know more than me, and I have no problem admitting that. I wouldn't have guessed Matt Flynn. Yeah, that was a pretty bad contract. No doubt about it. That guy should still be retired on what he made in the NFL for the amount of years he played. He played seven years in the NFL to the age of 37. So we're off to the races. Haas joins us. Jeff Hostetler at the bottom of the hour. Former Raider quarterback, two-time Super Bowl champion quarterback. Uh, we'll, we'll get into him. And at the top of the hour, I'll talk about what it was like to be at fight night, bite night. They called that bite night because it was. And I remember it like it was yesterday. We'll have that coming up here. Eric Pincus will join us, the great Laker insider. He's a capologist now. He actually teaches. And I believe he's coming out to Summer League. I'll ask him when he comes up on Kyrie opting in and Russell Westbrook opting in 
and that type of money that no one could ever walk away from. So, JT, we're out of the gate. Jeff Hostetler at the bottom of the hour. We're talking bad contracts in sports. I'll tie it into the Raiders. What was the worst contract in Raider history? Got Matt Flynn, Javon Walker. I went with D'Angelo Hall. There's got to be a few more floating around out there that I'm not aware of. And there's a lot of great contracts. Hopefully many of them now on the star-studded Las Vegas Raiders that take the field this year. This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. Watch it back. Boy, way up the field. Brown's plenty of room. Makes the catch at the 35. The 50. The 40. The 30. He's going all the way. 99 yards. Touchdown Raiders. Holy Toledo. It's the summer of Clip Branch. JT on the flagship of the Silver and Black Raider Nation Radio. Thrilling to bring in former Raider quarterback before that, two-time Super Bowl champion quarterback, the legendary Super Bowl 25 for the New York Giants, also played for the Redskins, pro bowler in 94, Jeff Hostetler joins us. Jeff, good to talk to you again. I hope you're doing well. Doing well, guys. I appreciate it. It's good talking to you. Great talking to you again. Before we get going, I wanted to ask you a memory of Cliff Branch. You saw him the years you came back, the alumni events. Finally, his induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this August. A memory of Cliff Branch. Well, I, I grew up in, uh, in the backyard of the Steelers, so uh, always saw the battles between the Steelers and the Raiders and uh, the uh, – the catches that the guy made, and um, he was just a special, special player and well-deserved award, well-deserved to be in the uh, Hall of Fame. No doubt about it. Jeff Hostetler's our guest. Jeff, before we get to the Raiders' years, I was at Super Bowl twenty-five. It had a huge effect on my life. I wanted to begin with you, the backdrop of that game, the pressure that you had as the starter in that game in a Super Bowl against a great team, but the backdrop of the war, Whitney Houston, the helicopter over the stadium. When you look back at that Super Bowl, what were some of your memories before the, the game kicked off? Well, uh, you, you hit a, a lot of the highlights there. Um, you know, the Gulf War was going on, so high security. Uh, there was a question whether we were even going to play the game. Um, you know, the patriotism that was throughout the whole stadium as we were waiting to be introduced. Uh, you look out there and everybody had a, uh, an American flag just waving. Um, you know, Whitney Houston singing the Star Spangled Banner. I mean, that's, it doesn't get much better than that. And then, and then being introduced and running out onto the field. But, uh, the pressure involved with it was, you know, it was obvious. Uh, I was the weak link according to all the mm -hmm. prognosticators and, um, you know, I wasn't going to be able to do it, and, and my whole life I'd always been an underdog. So, uh, you know, one thing I did know is uh, the guys around me in that huddle and in that locker room all had a lot of faith in me, and uh, we had got to that point when nobody gave us There's a reason you play the games. Jeff Hostetler joins us. Before that Super Bowl, the NFC Championship game against the Niners, 
were incredible. And you getting banged up in that game in the fourth quarter and what happened, Jim Bird, I remember that game in Montana and the backdrop of that game and Parcells telling you guys to pack to go right to the Super Bowl if you win. I mean, we talk about the Super Bowl where you played great, 20-32 for 222 yards and a touchdown. But what about that NFC Championship game to get to the Super Bowl? Again, we were we were going in against uh, uh, the team that was supposed to three-peat, uh, and it was me against Montana. Yeah, like I was playing against Joe. <laughs> um, I knew our defense was going to do the job on him, and we just had to do our job. Um, and it was, a, it was a great game. Again, nobody gave us a chance, um, and we, uh, we make some big plays uh, for the last drive. We get a fumble. Um, I yeah. hit two uh, two big completions to, completions to get us down into field goal range, and then uh, Matt Barr went ahead and and uh, kicked one through, and uh, we had already packed. We were on our way to the Super Bowl. Incredible, Jeff Hostetler's our guest. Uh, so Jeff, you end up coming to the Raiders in the 1993 offseason. You signed that contract with the Los Angeles Raiders and off to a really good start, 10-6 and and a playoff appearance as a wild card, and you led the Raiders to a 42-24 playoff win over the Broncos. How did that feel? What was the pressure like, or was there not a lot of pressure already a Super Bowl champion coming to play for the famed Al Davis because he had high expectations for you? Well, I tell you, I, I love my years with the Raiders. Uh, I played with a, a great group of guys, um, just uh, cream of the crop guys. I, I've, I've got some great friends from, from those years and uh, loved our, uh, our time playing with the Raiders. That first year was kind of special also. We, uh, we did some things when nobody thought we could. Uh, we beat uh, the Broncos, I think, in a season finale, mm-hmm. to, in a season finale to get into uh, the playoffs, and then we uh, face them the next week, and we beat them again. Uh, always good to beat uh, the the Broncos and and John Elway. So um, it was a great opportunity, great great time playing uh, with a great group of guys. Jeff Hostetler's our guest, and Jeff, I really didn't know this until I dove into it. With the Raiders coming back to Oakland in '95, you got the team off to an eight and two record before that shoulder injury. When you came back at the end, you finished eight and eight. What could have happened with that team there? Because you were rolling at that point in time, the injury and how it affected the team. Yeah, we were we were in uh, some of the uh, offensively in the top top of the uh, league in a lot of the categories, and mm-hmm. we were playing really really well. Uh, tore up my shoulder against the Giants and uh, missed the next five games. I tried to come back. Well, all we had to do was win one game to make it to the playoffs and uh, missed five in a row, um, uh, had surgery, uh, had a torn labrum and, and uh, rotator cuff, and uh, they had to go back in and try to find it uh, and, and reattach. So it was a bad injury, but it was one of those ones where, um, you know, we, we tried everything we could to just get back on the field and get one more win to make it into the playoffs, and um, we just weren't able to do it. We lost six in a row, and... Um, uh, that's a tough one to swallow. Jeff Hostetler's our guest. Uh, Jeff, your legacy, a lot of it's tied to winning and these iconic games and playing through injury. When you talk to your kids and people or if you're talking to young football players, 
about what we're seeing and fighting through an injury. What did you learn over your career? Because now athletes shut it down. You get something and it's big, an athlete will shut it down. They're not going to pay for it, especially with the money they're making. You were a guy that was fighting to get back on the field or stay on the field to keep your job and prove your critics wrong. Yeah, it was a different mentality then. And um, you know, the guys before me had that, that same type of mentality. It was, um, you know, we loved the game. We loved uh, playing the game. And uh, we knew that when you weren't out there playing, you could lose your job. So uh, it, was, it was always trying to get back onto the field. And, you know, I look back at it, and, and uh, sometimes I say, how stupid were you? Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, that was just uh, just – uh, what 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 we were made of at that point, and uh, how we reacted to it, and just how we uh, grew up. I think from I grew up in in uh, southwestern PA, mm-hmm. and it's just a hard nosed um, uh, area. And you know, you learn it. That's how you play. And it's hard when you uh, have an injury to to sit on the sidelines and, and not be able to be out there with your guys. I'll wrap it up with Jeff Hostetler. You played for Archell. Some of your teammates, Napoleon McCallum was a great friend of mine, Tim Brown, James Jett, Willie Galt. I looked through uh, Rocket Ishmael. The teammates that you had, that bond, you had great teammates with the Giants and with the Super Bowls, and then you go to the Raiders and you're playing with great teammates too. How do you keep up with them? What's a typical day like or around the holidays or around football when you look down you get a text message from one of your former teammates from any of these teams and they mean so much to you? Well, I'll tell you, I, I stay in contact with a lot of the offensive linemen. Those are the guys <laughs> that that uh, make, make or break you. And uh, so Steve Wisniewski and Don Mosbar and, um, I mean, there's – those uh, those guys that were in front of me were awful special. So um, those are the guys you love to stay in touch with. And uh, we're having a uh, alumni get together again this August, and mm-hmm. um, I've already been in contact with uh, some of those guys, and uh, we'll get to catch up out there. Hey Jeff, finally, Lawrence Taylor was the greatest player I've ever seen, defensive player. Can you share a story at a practice or in a locker room after the game, or? <laughs> Just the impact that he had on you as you prepped for games and knew he was on the other side during practice, the greatness of Lawrence Taylor in his prime. Well, uh, as a rookie, I came in, um, and at that time, uh, the veteran quarterbacks came in early with the rookies. So we were there about a week early before the veterans came in. So I was learning everything from veteran quarterbacks. We didn't have a chin strap. We didn't get hit. Um, you know, there was just this atmosphere, uh, that, that, you know, during practice you were throwing the ball, but nobody hit you. Well, uh, when the vets came in, it was the first day of practice with them. We were full pads. Uh, Parcells comes in and says, uh, all right, first team D out there. And he put in a, uh, uh, an all rookie team. I was oh. the quarterback at the time. It was raining. It was sloppy. And uh, right as we're in the huddle, uh, calling the first pass play, uh, he, he comes out of the huddle and says, he's live. Everybody's live. And LT looks and says, wait a minute, how about the quarterback? And Parcell says, everybody's live. And so <laughs> LT like, wait a minute, I, I can hit him? And he says, everybody's live. It was a five-step drop. Before I hit my fifth step, I was face-planted into the mud and had no idea what happened. <laughs> Uh, he helps me up and you know, he kind of brushes me off a little bit and straightens my helmet up and said, hey, 
when the coach says you got to go, I got to go. And that was my introduce, uh, introduction to oh, Lawrence Taylor. That is a phenomenal uh-huh. story. That is incredible. Hey, Jeff, lastly, what are you doing today? What, how's your family doing? What's going on with your life? Doing awesome. I've got uh, three sons. Uh, I'm here in Morgantown, West Virginia. I've got seven grandkids. Uh, loving life. We, uh, we develop property, build homes. Uh, I've been doing that with my sons and really involved. Uh, we have our Haas Foundation and really involved with uh, a new children's hospital here in Morgantown. We built a brand new $260 million facility, and uh, we put a, a family resource center on the top of that, uh, that hospital where uh, it's in a locker room theme. There's nothing like it in the, in the country, and uh, we're doing, uh, trying to do the best we can to have an impact on our kids and families to help them through some really difficult times. Man, there's something about quarterbacks and hospitals and what you're doing, Peyton Manning, other uh, great quarterbacks in the league, but it sounds like what you've done with your sons is absolutely incredible. Seven grandkids, what a blessing. Haas, thanks for doing this. The Raider alumni always talk about you. The fans are thrilled to hear from you. We can't wait to catch you out here for a game in Vegas. Appreciate it, JT. You guys have a great day. You got it. Jeff Hostetler. Wow. Wow. In the building, Super Bowl 25, when he beat Buffalo wide right. I would not be on the radio if it wasn't for that game. If you talk about the most impactful moments of my life as a fan, that was it, number one. Number one, going to that game, Super Bowl 25, and, and being able to go to that as a young buck at 25 years old on the age of the Super Bowl, and I roll in there with a buddy, and we're happy to be there for that. And I'll never forget Whitney Houston. I'll never forget the crowd. I'll never forget the impact that moment had on my life. And I'm going to tell you the Tyson story at the top of the hour. So a little storytelling today here on the flagship. Raider Man coming off Jeff Hostetler. What's happening, Raider Man? Oh, man, I had to tap in, JT. You got a couple of great topics on the table. And I get to follow up 15, man. Dig this. You already know me and my thing about no guts, no glory. Well, 15 was the real inspiration for that nickname. You know, he was the first time that we had had any kind of guts behind that line in quite a while. He resurrected, you know, what we were as a team and everything. He was a linchpin for what we were to go that season. And you see, when that shoulder went, so did our chances. So I just wanted to shout him out just in case he's still listening, man. You always be respected by your friendly neighborhood. You know, Raider Man was an integral part of bringing the black hole and Raider Nation to the forefront in that time. And it was a trip because I'm thinking about this, you know, kind of going past forward to this, to the uh, the point that you made about Cliff Branch. I know this is your, your summer to Cliff, mm-hmm. uh, summer in Cliff. And, you know, I, I kind of get a little bit emotional with this, but I'm going to hold too because it's a trip how I got a chance to experience Cliff Branch. Raider Man was brought into this fold, and I was cultured to not get autographs, to not seek pictures and all the rest of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. because Black Hole Raider Rob was training me and, and honing me in to be our talent. You know, I was supposed to be a liaison between the team and our fans. Well, you know, I missed out on a lot of opportunities to get next to some of these guys in the picture realm. But on my first opportunity to uh, Napa training camp, out there, I think this was 1998, the year Woodson then came in, but I was out at Domino's at the bar, and at the time, my Uncle Rocky, uh, Rochelle, and Rochelle, and shout out to him, I haven't talked to him in quite a while, I heard that, you know, he might be growing through, you know, quite a bit of things, circumstantially, but I love, I love my uncle, we, you know, we just about share birthdays, and, uh, you know, I just miss a lot of those times, but what I'm getting at is, he introduced me to Cliff Branch in that bar, 
and I had an opportunity to sit in there in that bar. I don't remember if Cliff was drinking or not, but we had a few beers going around, and we just was talking. And the time that that man gave me, the time that he blew confidence into my chest, he just kept telling me, man, you own something. You you about to be it, man. You know, and, and that's what I always felt. And, you know, that's why I get a little bit of delusional about this thing because I feel like I was called to a place to not have an opportunity to do, you know, some of the things that really make Raider Man who he is, it's a tear for me. So, you know, pardon me with that stuff, but I love my team and I love Cliff Branch. And I just, you know, I don't have enough words to say just how much I really, really appreciated the stamp that that man put on this league. And regardless of what anybody says, he was the first Battle of the Hall of Famer 35 years ago in my book. And nice. can't nobody take that from you. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate that. I appreciate that. your time, JT. I appreciate Talk you. You, you know that. You know how much I appreciate you. And, and the fact that you would call in and share that about Cliff. That's what this is about. The Summer of Cliff was a concept that I came up with with the Raiders to celebrate Cliff Branch ahead of his induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And then I was shocked, not shocked in that frame because I knew Mark Davis was going to go big, but now I'm just amazed is the word of how big this is going to be. This is Raider Mecca. It is. And I think we're going to have a couple other big road trips this year. And again, I want to throw that out here. First time I'm making this announcement. We're going to Nashville and New Orleans. I think I got the bar in New Orleans locked in. I had it last time. I don't in Nashville yet. So if we got Raider Nation going to Nashville and there's some booster clubs and everything going on, reach out to me on Twitter at JT the Brick, and we'll reach back out to you to put something together in Nashville this year. That's a big game. Nashville's week three. OMG. Chargers, Cardinals, Titans. Raider Nation, unite. Show up on the road this year. You get a chance to do it first in Canton, Ohio. Where a lot of our listeners in the Midwest can drive there and get there, if you can. 702-365-9200. Thanks to Jeff Hostetler. Brought to you by M Resort Spa and Casino. I ran a 4-2-40, yes, uh, back in the 70s and stuff like when I got drafted by the Raiders. We didn't have a combine, so um, scouts would come into the university, ex-scouts participating in four years, so I got time for a 4-2. Cliff admitting, telling everyone he ran a 4-2, he did. He was a track star at Colorado. He was a track star in high school. JT, back with you. Summer Cliff has kicked off. Really appreciate everybody who's jumping in and telling Cliff Branch stories. It's the least we can do for Cliff as we're all gutted and devastated that he's not going to be there. But he is fantastic, and he deserves the celebration and party. We'll talk about this throughout the summer here. Taking my son to San Diego at the end of the week. Uh, He's going back to college in a couple of weeks, so my last opportunity to be with my son before he goes back to college. So I'm excited about that. And then we're loaded, man. We are loaded up with the remotes that we're going to be doing from Resorts World, Virgin, M Resort Spa. I had a dream that I would have some of the biggest casinos embedded into this show, and we do now. Boz, Richard Bosworth of Virgin, Scott Sabella of Resorts World, and the entire team, the official hotel of the Raiders, the M Resort Spawn Casino. Thank you very much for the support. Gangster Raider checking in after Jeff Hostetler called in. What's happening? Hey, I'm doing good. I, I just want to say that um, I think that the worst contract we ever signed was when we signed Jamarcus Russell. At the, first of all, he held out. Then we're going to sign him to a six-year, $68 million deal with $31.5 million mm-hmm. guaranteed. And you see how that turned out. 
But also, I want to say that it's a shame that Cliff should have got in a long time ago. And I want to ask you a question about the Hall of Fame voters. Mm-hmm. How do they pick the Hall of Fame voters? And I'm sure, that, you know, since they're waiting for some um, players to pass away, I'm sure some of them have passed away. And when the Hall of Fame voters mm-hmm. pass away, who gets their votes? And how can we um, do some kind of reform to get more better yeah. people in the um, Hall of Fame voter committee? Do you know anything about yeah, that? Yeah, I do. I do know a lot about it and appreciate the call. It is really... It's about prestige. If you've been covering the NFL, if you've been writing about the NFL for a period of time, uh, you are nominated to become a voter, and I think they vote on who they bring in. And I'll double-check on that, but I remember Mike Wilbon always said that he did it for 10 years, and he wasn't covering the NFL the way he was covering the NBA, and he left, and they brought other people in. And, yeah, look, there's been a lot of politics behind the scenes. I talked to Jim Trotter about this often. Jim Trotter's a Hall of Fame voter. He knows the Raider history, the Charger history, as good as anybody. I, I've said this, and I hope someone tweets it to him right now. I really believe Paul Gutierrez should be the Hall of Fame voter. I really do. I've said this to Paul, and I mean this. Paul Gutierrez of ESPN, that is a massive platform, should be a Hall of Fame voter. He has more years covering the NFL at a very high level on one of the biggest platforms, and he's very unbiased. I think Paul Gutierrez should be the next one that comes in with some type of connection to the Raiders. I don't know how anybody would disagree with that, but it is political. It's political in a big way. Out to Sunnyvale, California. Fabian, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Hey, JT, as always, thank you. Hey, my pick would be Super Bowl 30 MVP. Larry Brown. Ooh, yeah. Uh, Larry Brown came off the greatest moment of his life and got a really big contract. Five years, 12.5, with 3.5 guaranteed. And he was gone in two years. God, that's such a small amount of money compared to now, isn't it? Isn't it <laughs> tiny? Isn't it tiny compared to what's now happening with 45 and 50 and $60 million signing bonuses? Khalil Mack, 90, 60. Uh, cash and 90 coming up front. I mean, it's just an incredible number. And, and he was a Super Bowl MVP uh, worthy of getting a contract. But, yeah, that, that's one we'll write down on the list, Bobby, Larry Brown. Yep. Again, and uh, with regards to Cliff, mm-hmm. uh, got to meet him at uh, Villa's old uh, yeah. star location there across from the Coliseum. Went there after a football 101 uh, little um, – thing that the uh, Raiders had put on and uh, got to meet him and the great Greg Townsend. Yes, nicely. John Vela, man. Appreciate the call. When I started with the Raiders in 98, John Vela had the parties. If you were going to go to a Raider game on the road, you went through John Vela. John Vela had it. He had his store. He put those trips together. Shout out to the great John Vela, who was a hell of a player. Hell of an offensive lineman in Raider history. And loves the Raiders and would put on some great parties. So we'd go on the road back in the day. I traveled all the time back in the day. We haven't traveled much due to COVID lately. And you get on the road to a city. Hey, where's everyone going? Oh, Vela's throwing this party. And it would be great. He really knew how to do that. Fantastic. That was a fun hour, man. Jeff Hostetler joining us. Hey, coming up here at the top of the hour, we'll talk about my 25-year-ago tonight experience at bite night with Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. I tell this story once a year, and it's a big one. Come around back for it.